the Redix network promises to revolutionize DeFi by making it faster and easier to build on it. So that's why today I am interviewing Adam Simmons, who is the chief strategy officer for the Redix network and finding out how is Redix different from other L1 networks and um, what is so special, so unique about it, why is it easier to build and what's the truth behind it. So apart from that, we also talk about the trends that are going to affect the rest of 2023 and we talk about how people can adapt to those changes and much, much more. Finally, I do not run ads on this podcast. So it will be a huge favor if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review for this podcast and share this episode with a friend. Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities. And my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it. So you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. Adam, it's great to have you in the show. So looking forward to talking with you about everything about RDX. That's where you work as head of strategy these days or chief of strategies. I would love to learn a bit more about RDX. So what does RDX do? What problems does it solve? So RDX, we're one of the core developers behind the Radix public network. So Radix is what I'll talk about in general because what RDX does is just a lot of the development and marketing work, but the exciting stuff is obviously the network we're building. Radix is a network started a long time ago, back in 2013. The founder of RDX, Dan Hughes, had successfully exited a previous tech business and got bitten by the Bitcoin bug, as many people were. But being a developer himself, being an engineer, he was like, I'm digging into this tech. I see the vision. And he quickly saw that, hey, there's all this promise of this like global decentralized network, but it can scale to six transactions per second. That's not going to work for billions of people. So he then started a journey with the early RDX team of really looking at how can you scale distributed ledger technology in a way that it can actually live up to its promise of being this entire global asset layer. So fast forward to 2019, and we have the blueprint and the roadmap to crack that. And so we have our own unique consensus algorithm called Cerberus. And Cerberus is unlike any other distributed ledger technologies. Cerberus is not a blockchain. It's not a hash graph. It's own style of DLT. So it's still a distributed network. And the way it works, it's got two kind of major superpowers. The first is it is a massively sharded architecture. And by massive, like we're talking two to the power of 256 shards. So at that point, you're talking about more shards than atoms on Earth. Now, at first, probably many of your listeners are sitting there being like, cool, that's a fun marketing claim. Why on earth would you do that? And it's not just for having a big marketing number. The reason is then you can start splitting up and paralyzing things, not just in a case of, oh, we'll put certain dApps on certain shards or even certain liquidity pools. You can put every wallet, every token, every individual asset pair all on its own shards, and they can be then processed in parallel. 
Now, sharding, of course, is something other layer ones are looking at at the moment. The problem they will face and the unique thing that Radix solves is that typically when you shard a network, you break something called atomic composability. So atomic composability is the ability for multiple assets or, or decentralized applications to be composed together in a single block, lack of a better term, so instantaneously. So on Ethereum today, obviously it's got a single shard yeah. or a single chain. Anything can work with anything. You can buy on Uniswap and sell on SushiSwap for an arbitrage opportunity and buy and sell in the same transaction for zero risk. Now, that is a monumental benefit for financial applications, but also far yes. many more applications that people wouldn't think. As soon as you typically shard a network, if those two applications are on different shards, there's some kind of delay between the buy and yeah. sell. And that it may still be much quicker than traditional finance, but it's not instant. And suddenly that is a big step backwards. Mm -hmm. Now, Radix with our consensus Cerberus, we solve that with a conce conceptually simple technique called braiding. And so what braiding does is basically means that if two shards need to interact, they come together and behave as a single shard. So you have all the benefits of that being a single chain while they're braided together, such as atomic composability, but you also have all the downsides, which is limited throughput. So that's why we have so many shards. So in this situation, if I'm sending, say, some tokens to you and my mom is sending some tokens to her friends, we're on four different shards, hypothetically. There. For me to send tokens to you, our two shards braid together and can be processed and everything's instantaneous. But my mom and her friend's shards braid together, but they're two independent things. So they can still be parallel processed. And so by splitting that up into this huge shard space, the, the mathematical likelihood of two shards being needed in the same transaction at exactly the same time is basically zero. So you get all the benefits of that atomic composability and the interoperability yes. and all of the benefits of massive parallelization. And really then your only problem is processing power. And so this is like how it gets very technical. I'd say anyone who wants to know more detail, go and read the white paper on it. But the basics is that as you add more nodes to the network, yeah. more shard space can be processed in parallel. And then you have lots of clever computer science that make sure that there's randomization of which shards different validators are working on. You still yeah. have your standard civil protection mechanisms. It uses a delegated proof of stake network, the security and consensus, and all of these things are still in there behaving as you'd want from a DLT with all the scalability. So that was the first piece. Um, what we then found was, hey, we've got this incredibly scalable consensus algorithm. Should we just have a general smart contract platform? And the yeah. team... and Big credit to Piers, our CEO especially, had really the foresight of going DeFi as a term had just started to become a thing. And yeah. what was really interesting was in the, the history of the project, back in the early days, there'd been many pieces published going, hey, what would a decentralized exchange look like? What would a decentralized lending platform look like running on a DLT? And of course, back in 2014, 2015, 2016, DeFi wasn't a term. And some people listening may remember Ether Delta and stuff like that and how challenging, shall we say, but likely that was to use. Yeah, but these concepts were like, hey, this is DeFi. And we made the decision that DeFi is actually the killer application for all distributed ledger technologies. And the reason is that running anything on a distributed network has a higher cost than running it on a centralized service. And therefore, there must be some economic benefit to the additional trustlessness and composability to offset the additional cost of running that network. And of course, financial transactions have huge benefits from that having a single interoperable asset layer to do things like that instant arbitrage between two different exchanges offers huge financial benefit, which offsets that cost. So we really focused on that. And being a product-legged organization, we went 
the market. We've interviewed around a thousand developers, both in Web3, in FinTech, in traditional finance. And we're like, what's your biggest problem in Web3 and DeFi today? Why are you not building here? Or what's your challenges? And surprisingly, the thing we didn't hear was many people going scalability. That's a granted. Being able to scale was yes. needed. It wasn't actually the biggest problem. People, projects already in the space were saying their biggest problem was the developer experience. And the building production-grade apps in Web3 right now was terrible experience and stuff. People outside of the space were going, we see all this huge opportunity, but we took one look at Solidity and the EVM and all these hacks and exploits and the user experience, which is like, there's no way we would ever launch a production app that manages millions of dollars of user funds on this system. Hearing this feedback, we then went and developed our own execution environment called the Radix engine and our own programming language based on Rust called Scripto. And there's many really cool things about the execution environment and language, but one of the big ones is that it makes assets a native function of the language. Now, the way I describe Radix engine to people and how it's so powerful is an analogy of the video game engine. So anyone who knows about video games, before video game engines, your first step, if you want to make a new video game, was to do all the really low-level stuff. Make the rendering engine, define how physics works, shadows work. And that's really hard. It takes a lot of time. And anyone who played any games in the 90s will know that often it went wrong. You would clip through walls, fall through the floor, the game would freeze. And in a video game, that was annoying. The thing is, though, that's what building DeFi and Web3 is like today currently. Except when something falls through the floor, it can be a million dollars. And then it suddenly goes from being annoying to being catastrophic. Yeah. Now, just as with video games, game engines came along and said, hang on, there's these, the core engine is universal. Every game needs physics. It needs the rendering engine. It needs what light is. It needs what shadows are and how this works. And what many people may not realize is that wasn't restrictive. It just meant the primitives were there in the engine be able to do really powerful things. So where most people's game may be on, say, running across a planet, gravity exists. But if your game's in space, you just go into the engine and set gravity to zero. It doesn't mean you don't need all the rest or you don't have the flexibility to yeah. adjust things as you need. It just meant that the engine took care of a lot of the heavy lifting so you didn't have to start from scratch. And that is essentially what Radix Engine does for building Web3 and specific DeFi. And then Scripto is the language to, to program that. That went live into early access back in December, 2021. Uh, in the last year, we've had over 5,000 developers download and start trying to use it. We've had, yeah. we've got about 160 odd projects announced already and smart contracts aren't even live on our mainnet yet. So that's been going really well. So in a nutshell, that, that is Radix. That's what we're trying to do. And if I had to summarize it in one way, it is of course the tagline on our website, which is to build a radically better global financial system. That is very cool. I have so many questions. Okay, so let's get started. First of all, I was reading a blog somewhere that it is, um, there are ways to make it compatible to EVM or Solidity or something like that with Radix. Is that possible? So not really. And this was a conscious choice and it's, a, it's an interesting one. So of course, many of the other L1 networks ported over the EVM onto their own consensus mechanism to make it a bit more scalable. Now, the reason we didn't do this was many people think that, hey, if you just change the programming language on top of the EVM, you put some additional packages in there, you can make it way easier. And that's somewhat true, but the fundamental of how smart contracts work in the EVM is quite unintuitive. And this is something we found with many developers. And actually fixing that helps you solve a lot of things throughout the stack. So another thing we often talk about, we did a big keynote at December called RadFi, where 
we went, the big message is that you need a full stack solution to these things. And the simple analogy I use is like, Lego is really good for building some things and Meccano is really good for building other things. It's not really good getting some Lego and Meccano and duct taping them together and hoping that they somehow work. It doesn't create a good solution. The other thing that people don't realize is that if you bring in something like the EVM, one of the big things we announced at RadFi was how the user experience on Radex and the wallet is so much more intuitive and safer and more cool than on other networks. And people are like, cool, you build a good wallet. Why can't you just build that wallet interface on Ethereum? And it's the problem is the wallet has only access to what is available to it. So if the rest of the DLT stack of the L1 platform isn't providing that information, you can't solve problems like blind signing because all the network presents is a transaction hash. The wallet yeah. has no way to work out what that means in an intuitive way. Whereas when we started and built our own execution environment, you can suddenly then go, well, and on Radix, we call it the transaction manifest. You can make a human readable transaction because the engine understands what assets are. So because it understands what the assets are, it can then sit there and go in the transaction manifest. It can, in a human readable way, explain how assets move. And so then suddenly you can go, my USDC is going into an, a DEX and I'm going to get wrapped BTC out of it. And it can estimate the amount by the logic. It makes sense there. The other piece to that though, is it also empowers developers because suddenly now say you want to have some kind of integration between two different smart contracts on Radix, for example, you don't need to launch your own smart contract to have interoperability between them. You could actually just work at the transaction manifest layer to code a transaction that does that. So, hey, go and swap my USDC on a DEX for some wrapped BTC and then go and stake the BTC in this DeFi yield farm. On Ethereum or on any EVM system, you'd have to go and create a new smart contract for that. On Radex, you do that in the transaction manifest layer. So it basically yes. means that far more developers can build a lot quicker and a lot more easily. And that's just some of the headline things there. Fantastic. So as every chain, every protocol wants more developers to build on them, how do you onboard developers? How do you introduce yourself to them? How did all these 5,000 people find you guys? Yeah, so the developer ecosystem team is one that I'm very proud to lead. They're part of my department in, as a chief strategy officer. And it's a big job because, as you say, developers are essential to any Web3 ecosystem. One of my, my big views on how Layer 1s or any network like Radix operates is it's very similar to any other kind of platform business. There's, it's a two-sided market effect. You have users, which are a proxy for assets, and you have developers, which create dApps. And all the network does is bring assets and dApps together so they can interact. Yeah. Now, obviously, what we know from data from people like Electric Capital is if you look at last year, despite the massive growth in the number of dollars and assets within the DeFi ecosystem, the number of developers only about 2x. So we went from about billion dollars to $200 billion of assets and from around about 9,000 full-time developers working in Web3 to 18,000. Of course, that's not scalable. Let me tell you. Uh, let me tell you a secret because we also work Go with for it. developers to bring them into building. Or we work and we train and we run workshops. We run workshops with people like Alchemy, and they, we have integrations with their on our cap table, basically. But yeah, I work with developers as well, and that's why I wanted to ask this question. The reality is not even eighteen thousand. When you look at how many people are actually committing on GitHub and stuff, it is closer to five to 10,000 who are regularly yep. coding and developing in things in this space, if not and, even 18,000. And 
as, as crazy as that isn't even for me, the most shocking part, the shocking part is the number of people or number of developers who tried looking at web three and just decided this isn't for me. And it's because in languages like solidity, the time to talent, the time to go from not just hello world or something like that, but to actually a production grade app is years and it's highly complex. And the, as I'm not a developer myself, but the graphic that I, most of our tech team put together in the past was a architectural diagram of a DEX. And they're like, this is, if, explain a DEX to me. And it's, it's simple. If you think about it, you've got a user account that has token A in it. Yes. Goes into the DEX, which then accepts token A, has some logic to work out how much token B it sends out. Simple. And they're like, yeah, this is how the architecture diagram would look in Ethereum. And you're suddenly like, hey, that DEX is actually just an ERC-20 smart contract for the LP yeah. token, which sends messages to update the two other smart contracts for the two tokens it's got in there. And your private key is just given the LP contract blanket permission to update those values of those other two tokens for you. So you better hope when you blind sign that transaction that there's not a bug or it's not a malicious smart contract that's going to drain all your funds. And suddenly you're like, yeah, that's why it doesn't make sense. Whereas in the Radix engine, the architectural diagram is basically identical to that first one. Like you've got your, you've got your user smart account that has a vault in it for token A. It sends it into the smart contract for the DEX, which has a vault for token A. It receives it and it does its internal logic and sends back token B. If you try and send token C into there, it fails. Not because the DEX was programmed to not accept token C, but much more like a vending machine. If in New Zealand, if you, if I came over there and tried to put a great British pound into one of your vending machines, it'll just, just spit one. it back out. Yes, that's right. Because it understands what the asset is. And it's, I don't accept anything. I don't accept pounds. It doesn't need to know what a pound is. It actually just needs to know what it'll accept and accept. anything else fails. Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the many things the Radix engine does. And so suddenly you make it more intuitive to build these powerful applications. And there's other things like you can't have in a transaction on Radix using the transaction manifest, you can't have a situation where there's assets left over because the engine will just go, that is an invalid transaction. You can't have leftover assets that don't exist anywhere. They must leave at the end of this and they must be in a vault. And so these sort of guardrails mean that it's way quicker for developers to pick up Scripto and actually build functional apps than it is in, in Solidity by orders of magnitude. And like one, one really good example of this is that we've run some developer workshops and one of them, we did it in five cities around Europe all on the same day. And we weren't advertising it to specifically people who worked in Web3 before. And we're like, we'll tell you what an NFT is. We will, you will mint an NFT using Scripto, which is super easy, by the way, because assets are a native function and an NFT is just an asset. And we'll show you how to build an, a simple NFT marketplace. And you'll do that in a day. Yeah. Now imagine sitting there going in Solidity in the EVM and saying, hey, in a day from never looking at Solidity before and never building Web3, in one day, you'll learn how to create an NFT and also create a basic NFT marketplace where you can buy and sell. That's more like something that would take you months to learn and to get to production grade a lot longer. And so by lowering the barrier and the time to talent, you mean, it means that way more developers are able to build things. And as exactly as you said, the more people who are able to build things, you end up with competition. Yes. And competition is a good and innovation. For, exactly. Competition yes. leads to innovation. innovation. And suddenly you're sitting on Radix with Scripto and the Radix engine. You're no longer going, what's the simplest I can make my application to avoid exploits or bugs or things like that because it's unintuitive and overly complex from a from the actual technology stack level to going 
the technology stack or the engine has my back, I can now start building cool functional applications. And then this is where you start getting innovation. And some of those could be mass market. Some of those could also be really niche that are super powerful for certain users, but it becomes commercially viable to make because the barrier to entry to actually start coding it is so much lower. Yeah. So how do we market to developers? Our, our CTO, Russell, has one of the best lines for this, which is come and try Scripto. It's the shortest path from idea to production app that's managing $100 million. Yeah. But and that, that's the, the dot-com gold rush of this era in our is being able to do that in Web3 and really empower developers to build the things that they can imagine. Because today, Web3 is about building the simplest thing you can because it's so complex to do, which means innovation is being stifled. Yep. And do you also give bounties and hackathons? Are there any other things that you guys do that have seemed to work really well when it comes to developers? Yes, crypto went live just over 12, 12 months ago. And we... Again, we launched it in early access. So 12 months ago, it was local machine only in a simulator environment. It was like that for about six months. It then went into a public testing, which again, simulated consensus. It went to Alphanet in September. And then just before the new year, BeatNet went live. And so we've rolled this out because we want to get the tools in the hands of developers. And during this time, we've run challenges on Scripto. So like the first one was build a Dex, for example. And build an Oracle or build a lending protocol or something like that in and what amazed us was that we were offering, because it was early days, really relatively small prize pools, but we were getting so many submissions from people. But it wasn't just submissions of copycat things. Because people could intuitively build how they imagined these systems to work, they were coming up with really novel, execution or novel executions of these applications. But what was really incredible was two of the people who actually ended up placing the top three of two of these competitions didn't have like professional coding backgrounds. They'd just been following Radix, and when Scripto came out, they started playing around with it, and they played around with it for a few months, and then actually coded a, a like a lending protocol or an oracle yeah. that was not only functional, but did some really cool things. And it's like that time to talent of being able to build something for someone who's not even a professional developer is what really validated our idea that lowering the barrier to entry just means you get so many more people involved building cool things for users ultimately to come and engage with is really a powerful tool that's very cool yeah and so i have a few more questions now the next question is not related to 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 the rdx network to crypto to any of the things but i just want to find out since we are still at the start of the year what's your view of 2023 what are your three key i don't know themes predictions ideas for 2023 where it's going to go so really good question i think Three, three is the top one. I have one major one. Yeah, which yeah, is go ahead. Yes. My, my one major one is that I think not just in crypto or Web3, but more generally, is it's going to be a year where people are really looking for confidence in what they're doing. So it's not a risk-taking year. People are nervous. If you, if, and in financial markets in general, like where right yeah. now do you want to put your money? You don't want to keep it as cash because inflation pretty much everywhere is really high. So keeping yes. cash... You're burning it to inflation. Traditional equity markets and things like that, they're looking a bit rough at the moment. There's lots of signs of recession in major economies and things like that. So that's not looking great. You've got, again, crypto with the fallout of things like Terra and FTX. People are going, this is looking quite worrying. And then you've also got, so I think trust building and giving people confidence in what they're doing is going to be massive. And again, this looking at crypto and DeFi specifically comes into simple things like 
that that's why we were talking about the UX of the Radix wallet. Would your friends and your family really on board to using MetaMask? Like the first thing you said, no, would your, no, would your no, grandma? No, no, <laughs> yeah, like that. You're not going to go to your grandma and say, hey, go and put your pension in this crypto yes. thing. Oh, by the way, here's 28 words. You need to chop them up, keep them completely safe and never let anyone else see them or all your money's gone. That's not a realistic user experience. Even now, like I, I look back and like when you go and approve a transaction in Uniswap or something, you are, even as an experienced user, you're still just trusting that Uniswap is right. Yes. Like, you're, yeah, you're just clicking going and... That isn't confidence. That's just become numb to the risk of it. You're like, this worked 10 times before and I didn't lose all my money, so I'll do it again. But yes. I remember the first time I did a trade on Uniswap. You click trade and then you see the money disappear or like the <laughs> USDC disappear out of your MetaMask. And you're like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? <laughs> yeah. The other money hasn't come back. Where's it gone? And then you got, and of course you're like, oh, there's finality time of 40 seconds. Then you find out that actually you didn't put enough gas on or something or you got front run and like, we're risk takers in the space right now. We are so early and we see the vision of what Web3 can do that we're like, yeah, these are growing pains. We'll put up with it. But any normal person is going to go, no, I'm not willing to just risk sending some money and crossing my fingers and hoping it was the right thing. And so I think this year is all going to be about building trust back and actually show, letting, making sure that people feel confident in the things that they're doing. That is very true. Trust is going to be the big one. And that's what brings more people into this environment brings more people into web three blockchain everything yes just to follow that like that trust isn't only on money like i think we're seeing that as well with the fallout from like social media sites and trust of our yes. personal data our identity cbdc's is another big thing they're like which entities which things do we want to trust things to and i think one of the nuances that people within the web three space sometimes overlook is they go hey just cut the like self-custody of assets that's the way forward don't trust the bank don't trust the government or something like that I have something what very thing? important to say in that, but yeah, can finish your thought then I'll share. Okay. I was going to say that that is true, but then you're trusting yourself. And again, many people going back to that 28 word seed phrase for your grandma, is she going to trust herself to look after that? Or is she going to trust her bank? Yeah. You can't just say this is a better solution without creating the, at least a, as good, if not a better experience for the end user, because they're still trusting someone. It's just themselves. And many people wouldn't trust themselves with their entire net worth. <laughs> Yeah, no. So this is, I was talking with a friend of mine who's really high up in Singapore. He works in Singapore. He was just coming back here for holiday and stuff. And he works in Google. So he's not um, like really high up in Google in Singapore. So he's a very smart guy. And his own words that I trust bank more than I trust myself. Do you know 20% of all Bitcoin is lost to just lost keys in the world? So it's, it's, it's just that simple. It's like people forget their passwords and you can go to the bank and say, hey, can you reset my account? You can go with an ID and stuff and they will do that for you. And he say, I can't do that with crypto. So that's why he buys stocks, he buys property, he buys all these other assets. He's really well off. So, on that one, I would, I, shame, shameless plug, tell your friend to watch RadFi and see what we do in the yeah. Radix wallet because that's... That, that is exactly the ethos we took is we heard the same thing. And we're like, you can't take away convenience because yeah. people always want the convenience solution and offer them a new, you've got to solve the same problems that are already being solved yes. and new ones. Yeah. You can't just trade problems. True. Having said that, now back to, to, the, to IDX Network and what you're building, what has been one most challenging part of this? Wow, that is a really good question. So... I think the, from my position as chief strategy officer, I don't have the expertise to talk from the technical side. Yeah, me, yeah, totally. Yeah. From community and ecosystem side, I'd say 
big challenge of these networks is you're building something extremely complicated and articulating even a, an educated Web3 audience of the USPs of what you're doing is really hard. So like most people, if you look at, say, the consensus on Radix, Cerberus, and hey, Cerberus is a highly sharded network that maintains atomic composability cross shard. Only a fraction of people within Web3 understood what I just said if I didn't explain it. And that's not their fault. It's because they haven't encountered a situation. Sharding doesn't exist in most places. Even when it has, they haven't seen what happens if you get rid of atomic composability. They don't know these things. So how do you explain why you need to have it? You're, I'm always reminded, and I use this in many interviews and podcasts as the example, but there was an interview with Bill Gates in the dot-com era. And the talk show host was like, why would I want the internet? Bill Gates was like, imagine being able to read your, get your news anywhere and take it with you, read it wherever you want. And the presenter was like, I can, I've got my newspaper in my bag. And Bill Gates was like, no, 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 that's not the point. Imagine being able to talk to anyone on the planet from anywhere. And the presenter was like, yeah, but I can, I've got my mobile phone. So no, that's not the point. And that carried on for a bit. And the end goal was like, the magical thing about the internet isn't just one thing. Yes. It does a thousand different things all yes. at once. And exactly that's right. the thing with Web3 as well. Is people say this about finance and like traditional finance is obviously DeFi is trying to revolutionize that. But people go, and some people go on this train of, ah, oh, traditional finance is broken. And yes, if you're in some, if you're in a country that's dominantly yes. banked or something like that, true. If you go to someone, say in London and go, hey, do you think finance is broken? They might go, yeah, bankers are paid too much or something. Yeah, like something like that. that, that yes. But their default isn't going to be like, oh, I didn't get my paycheck this month. Or like, they just went into a coffee shop and bought a coffee, tapped their card, it worked. It was working. So yes. the ethos we take is it's not about, it's not the finance is broken. It's just that the global financial system could be better in a thousand little ways. Exactly and that. fixing just one or two of those isn't a big deal. But yes. what networks like Radex provide is the ability to fix all of them simultaneously. And then suddenly a thousand one percent gains Yes, is a massive benefit, just in the same way as the internet. It wasn't yeah. just doing one or two of those things. It was all the things, not yep. to mention the things we haven't even thought of yet. So that, that's why I'd say the big challenges is how do you articulate these, the vision and how the product fits into that, which are very technical and complex and cutting edge products into a way that consumers, token holders and developers can actually understand because you're, yeah. you're trying to explain the future. And that is a really big challenge. Yeah, that is very true. Cool. And talking about challenges, this is a really good segue to bring us into what is your ask? One ask, so that is, are you looking for, I don't know, more people to give it a try? Are you looking for employees? Are you looking for investors? Anything, feel free to share. Uh, my one ask would be watch RadFi. So RadFi was a keynote event that we did at the start of December. It's an hour, just over an hour, when our CEO and then our chief products officer, Matt, goes through uh, a brief look at our consensus, our execution environment, script our programming language. And also the big unveil was the Radix wallet and the user interface and how that works on Radix. And I, I guarantee you that if you watch the first 10 minutes of that and you're not hooked, turn it off and say, Radix, not for me. If you get 10 minutes in, I guarantee you'll end up watching all of it. And I think it'll change your perspective on what Web3 can be and how we can actually realistically achieve it, not just for us who are already in the space, but how your friends, your family, and your colleagues are actually going to go and use this technology in the coming years, decades. 
Fantastic. That is a great way to finish. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. I will be following your journey and Radix's journey. So looking forward to big things and we should do this again sometime maybe in six to 12 months and see where you guys have got to. That'll be perfect. Our mainnet upgrade with smart contracts will be live by then. Perfect time to do it. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the Web3 with Sam Samani podcast. You know the drill. Leave a comment. Please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you if time permits. So having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.